0: you are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. Da, 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 da. Ben Silver's here for the first time joining us for one of our Star Wars editions. In Galactic Eons. The first, <laughs> the first time, time, time in Galactic, in galactic eons. eons. You <laughs> scruffy looking nerf herder. Was scruffy looking. You! which <laughs> would be <would> the <you> answer? <laughs> or was your question rhetorical? It
1: was rhetorical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I withdraw
1: my answer. All
0: right. <laughs> good job. <laughs> now, we've also got Jake Menzel. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good. How are you? Pastor Jake Menzel. Hey. He's the guy that shows up on a lot of these Sanity at the Movies type things. All, this all it? of them, in fact. Is this your first time on a Sanity at the Movies post part of the real... You know, part of
2: SOS proper kind of thing? Oh my. Uh I, I, I can't think remember. Been, like made maybe at least a cameo. Yeah. Well Ben, mm-hmm. it's been a while. We're happy
1: to have you. Happy to be here.
0: And what history do you bring to Star Wars, my friend? You like it, you hate it, you, oh, yeah. you're a big fan, you grow up with it, you have the VHS?
1: <laughs> the answer to all those questions is oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Which set of
0: VHSs did you have, if you indeed had VHSs growing up? Mm,
1: We did, and we had the regular, the old. The trilogy? Yeah. So were they in the black case that was- I I can't quite see them in my mind did they have interviews between leonard malton and george lucas oh no you know what i I think maybe we just rented them a lot Mm -hmm. when i was a kid and then after the special edition came out we had the special edition vhs in the
0: gold case with the interviews with george lucas and leonard malton i think
1: yeah that's right which we always skipped we yeah we watched them all the time growing up love them what i remember was that i was always the happiest when i could see the first 20 minutes of return of the jedi first 20 or 30 minutes up to the up to the Jabba the Hutt palace escape.
0: What happens? That's like the
1: most boring stretch of Star Wars. It's just like a bunch of people sneaking around the palace. Oh, and... I, I, I loved it. I loved it because I knew it. Would, we would get to that point where Luke, you know, jumps on that diving board and mm-hmm. turns a flip and calls his lightsaber, and it's just this <laughs> awesome moment that I always imagined myself doing <laughs> mm-hmm. on a diving board. <laughs> I mean, who does so want to cool to do that on a diving <laughs> yeah, board? Yeah, it was like it was like a great superhero moment. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing built to that, and I always thought it was all the other stuff was fun too. Because he's holding a thermal detonator. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, that was classic. And then you get to that boring part where he goes back to Dagobah, and the movie kind of slows down. For
0: That's a while. weird, weirdly structured movie. It's got—I guess we'll talk about it when we do Return mm. of the Jedi—but it's got these long build-ups to big bursts of action. But right. it's not an action thrill ride exactly
1: no it's not you just kind of live as a kid at least you live for all the awesome scenes
0: right yep you got the speeder bike thing to
1: kind of keep you you do keep your appetite yeah sated or whatever that's that's a good one mm-hmm. you have a pretty good lightsaber battle at the end but hey i guess we're getting ahead of ourselves we are it's getting ahead of we're ourselves about today. we are
0: talking about empire strikes back this is a lot of people's favorites uh star wars movie mm. where'd you guys rank this one I think, objectively speaking, it is the best Star Wars movie. I think you you can argue for what you might like better or what might hit you where you live right now, but in terms of what movie had the most actual filmmaking craft, the best writing put into it, mm -hmm, I think it's hands down this one.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I think there's, I think you're right. No argument about that.
0: As a kid, I always thought this was the boring one. Like I would, I would have rather watched a New Hope or obviously Return of the Jedi. Despite what me and Ben were just saying, was the coolest because it had that giant extended battle at the end Uh luke uh versus vader han and leia doing cool stuff with teddy bears and the big Mm -hmm. space battle like it was just you you got so much bang for your buck yep but empire strikes back was the one where you had to put up with yoda like being disappointed with luke for half the movie
1: i remember that empire strikes back i don't i guess it was a little boring as a kid but it was also just it always made me depressed because it had a bad ending yes not even a sad ending like a bad ending as a kid i just didn't didn't like being left with Han Solo frozen in carbonite.
0: That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever had that response. I think even as a fairly young
0: kid, I mean, now I would be like, well, that's awesome. They went to dark route. You know, I would do all that. But I think as a kid, even as a kid, I thought, this is really cool. Like, I know they're going to resolve it, you know, or not. And it's not like I have to wait two years. We're going to watch the VHS tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you or know, in five minutes or in five minutes, depending yeah. on
2: rewind time.
0: Yeah, exactly. so yeah I I I don't I remember it it felt kind of cool I I guess I felt complimented like as if the movie was patting me on the shoulder and treating me like I was an adult maybe like like I didn't need a a pat happy ending I I could I could handle this you know I mean even Mm -hmm. as like a seven or eight year old or whenever I was most wearing out those VHS's I think I did actually kind of appreciate that that aspect of it. I was also reading about movies and film pretty early in my life from about age 10, probably. And so I knew that I was supposed to like this one the best and that it was cool that it was Hmm. dark because dark things are cool. Probably not. Where would you guys rank this movie today, though? Like in terms of just how you feel about it?
2: It's still pretty great, all things considered. But just for for fun, if I'm going to go watch a Star Wars movie, I'm probably just going to watch Rogue One.
1: Uh, for fun, I'm just not going to watch a Star Wars movie, which is well. That's the other
0: answer. What makes me in the jerk, I guess, and an iconoclast. class. That that's,
1: sh- that's actually how I feel. I didn't know I felt that way until as a listener just before this episode, we might have spent a few minutes watching uh, clips on YouTube from Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. instead of watching. I'm not saying that we did, but we might have. Anyway, right. and if we did that, well, my response is I haven't watched it for a long time, and it didn't seem like that much fun anymore just from a more ironic perspective and i don't really want to feel that way about a movie i loved as a kid so for fun i think my answer would be nathan's too i just wouldn't watch a star wars movie
0: yeah i sort of like letting them live in my head they're more fun in your head as a child you know like i really enjoyed certain aspects about them that you know like the mythology looms large and everything that was exciting i still remember as being exciting when you go back i don't know you just you can't. You. You. I find I've grown out of it, and you can't recapture some of those feelings. Yeah. And so it's better to recapture them just by remembering them every once in a while. Yeah, I think that's okay. Actually, I don't. Re- I don't. Re- I don't resent that. No, me neither. I don't think it's a flaw in the movie. I think it's just these are kids' movies, basically. At the end of the day, they're very yeah. simple. There's not a lot for someone with adult concerns yeah. and interests to latch onto. Once you've exhausted the basic excitement of mm-hmm. lightsabers and the Force and and, uh, and uh, spaceship battles, right? Yeah, the lessons that Luke has to learn, the romance that Han and Leia go through—these are all things that we've generally mm-hmm. we can relate to as kids or as as high schoolers, maybe. But if we if we're actually in our thirties, as as all three of us are, and we're dealing with adult concerns, I'm not worried about my my blooming romance that's already happened i'm not worried about achieving you yeah. know the glory of my mission in life i've kind of know what it is and i just have to work at it
1: well yeah i mean i agree with that but for me it's more on the level of i wish that as an adult i still like to watch this like i do a lot of other kids movies right and i said i don't resent that that's true but i do feel i guess i feel a little sad like well this just isn't well made enough on some level and I, maybe i'm going ahead too far to, uh, to give my critical opinion, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is pretty great, but right. on the other hand, there's a lot of, there's a number of Disney movies or Pixar movies I can watch as an adult, and I'm like, this is a well-made movie, and a kid could watch it too and right. enjoy it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, not quite at that level.
0: No, it's actually not, and I'm sorry, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't feel that way. I'm sure they still enjoy it, and I could understand, if I had kids and I was introducing them to Star Wars, I might get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. you know, there's there's no, different definitely. ways I could, Star Wars will still be in my life, and I'll still enjoy yeah. it, but I don't know. This is a tricky thing. And I feel like people always resent this. I've said things like this on the bookening before, and I don't feel like I get a lot of purchase on it. But I think it's good to grow out of things. I just think part of maturity is being like, mm-hmm. you know what? I really liked Star Wars. It's also pretty simple. There's not a lot for my intellect or for my developed emotions to appreciate now. And that's 100% okay. It doesn't mean that Star Wars isn't great. It doesn't mean that it didn't do a lot of good in its small, entertaining way for me. It doesn't take away from it. It can yeah. still be something that I kind of treasure as a special little thing in my life. But I actually think it's better to grow out of it. That actually allows you to treasure what was special about it more than what a lot, what I think a lot of people do, which is they try to cling on to it and they kind of try to almost arrest their emotional or intellectual development so that they can still enjoy some of these things that they enjoyed as a kid. I mean, that's what you see when you see those. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy puts on the Star Wars celebration. You see all these 30, 40-year-old people dressed up as Jedis and stuff. On one level, I don't begrudge them they're fun, but on the other level, it's just like, grow up. <laughs> yeah, there's other things that are more
1: fun. <laughs> there's, there, are, there are other things that are so much more fun. I mean, it's it's true. Yeah, so I yeah I feel the same way. If, Lord willing, I have kids someday, it'll be fun to introduce them to Star Wars. Sure. I think I'll be able to enjoy it through their eyes and like it. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to imagine myself going back. And what I keep hoping for with these new Star Wars movies is that they'll make a movie that captures the spirit and the energy of the old ones. It makes you feel like you felt as a kid, but is a better movie. And so far, they ain't delivered. No. They've they've become become very well-polished, extremely well-produced products. I mean, there's no doubt, like, production wise production value wise mm-hmm. I think you'd have to say Last Jedi is the most the best like absolutely just the top notch you know put together mm-hmm. and it's it's awful it's the worst movie of the franchise right <laughs> and so if they're gonna do that to me
0: oh well well then you have things like Solo which is I guess kind of entertaining for a half yeah. and a half but it's yeah. not it's not doing you know it's not it's not feeding yeah. you anything of nutritional value no 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 know. No, it's that's too bad. Yeah. And it's not that I don't like well-made entertainments. Like you were saying, a Disney movie, something like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin even, The Lion King, Snow White, some of these things. I mean, there's probably a lot of better examples I could think of. Those are just the ones that occurred to me off the top of my head. Some of the head.
1: Toy Story movies, maybe all of them.
0: Toy Story. It's like... Pretty fun. Yeah. Those movies are really fun. They're really entertaining. They deal with themes that are resonant for both adults and for children. And they do it in a really smart, fun, funny... Bright, mm-hmm. colorful, musical, often way, and it's really fun to go back to. Yeah, and you you find that there's new things that you discover. Uh, that's what I think Star Wars really lacks. Is great uh, kids movies. Something like The Princess Bride, for example. This is a maybe an obvious example, but it it, it it does exemplify what I'm talking about. You watch that movie when you're eight. It's just an adventure movie, and it's kind of funny, but you're actually excited about them climbing up the cliffs oh, yeah. and. All the sword fights and yep. everything, they really get you. Yeah, they get you. Y- you watch the movie as an adult, and so it's a much different experience. You realize that the whole thing is much more tongue in cheek than you thought it was. That uh-huh. even the big action set pieces are pretty silly and pretty ironic and pretty <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> right. But you can still appreciate it on that level. Uh-huh. You know, it actually works on two or three different levels, it hits you at different places. And that might be a movie that I grow out of too. I don't know how it would hold up if I watched it now, but hmm. I know two different versions of me enjoyed it in two entirely different ways because it's such a cleverly constructed movie. That's right. Yeah. And not every movie has to have a great screenplay like that one does. But I think there is something to be said for a really well-crafted piece of entertainment. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz Hmm. hits you in different ways, depending on how old you are, depending on where you're at in life, depending on, you know, are, are you sympathizing more with Dorothy and her desire to go out on an adventure because you're a kid and you feel kind of restricted by your or, or are you feeling a little bit more like a cowardly lion you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen that one as an adult i i think i should sometime it's a good movie i saw return to oz a lot more recently yes that, that one actually still works that's a very dark movie it's still terrifying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the hall of heads or whatever yeah 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 if you watch that as a kid <laughs> It, that movie will make you feel respected, too, as a kid, kind of like you were saying when the end of Empire Strikes Back. Right. But maybe many of our listeners aren't familiar with it. It's, it's not a musical, and it's not bright and friendly like Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no. it's, it's, uh, it's like a, a, a dark take from, uh, I think it put together two or three of the books, the actual books, which are pretty different from the classic musical Wizard of Oz. Right. And it, it made a story out of that. It's a lot of fun. There's no Toto. Dorothy's friend is a talking chicken named Henrietta. Yes, Mm -hmm. one of the characters from the books. And a lot of dark things happen. It's really fun. It's kind of a cult classic now. It's a weird movie, but the books are really weird. So is the musical for that matter, if you think about it at all. Back, Back to
0: topic. I, um, I recommend uh, Return to Oz. <laughs> Jake stepped out for a phone call. And he came back in at the correct back moment. At the correct moment. To catch well, us? <laughs> Go ahead. If you want to see a dark Wizard of Oz movie where Dorothy undergoes shock treatment at the very beginning. <laughs> oh, I what, forgot about that. The world I talking about? Return to Oz is the movie for you. <laughs> and if Return, you want it, <laughs> Return to Oz is pretty great. If you, want, if you want to see a headless monster woman that collects other people's heads, I think. She's got like a hall of heads. She
1: does have a hall of heads. And <laughs> doesn't <laughs> she
0: come right running at Dorothy, like, headless. I, I, I don't know. That's I think
1: great. she does, but but the, but the moment that, that kills you as a kid is when she goes into the Hall of Heads and they're all behind their little glass doors and mm-hmm. they all. she wakes them up and they all turn to look at her and they start saying, Dorothy Gale. It's just, <laughs> it's <laughs> amazingly horrifying. Uh, yeah, anyway, you've got great characters. You've got Jack Pumpkinhead, which is one of the best, I think, characters from Oz. Mm-hmm. He has a pumpkin forehead. He sure does. <laughs> anyway yeah
0: it's it's loads of fun, yeah, and I'm not sure that I recommend it unless you <laughs> I don't <laughs> okay. want to be responsible for anybody showing it to their young oh, children or anything we were like trying to talk about
1: so Jake to up, we were trying to talk about kids entertainments that work for adults as well, and I <laughs> ah. happened to bring up return uh return to Oz because I think it does, but we were we were saying that a lot of Disney Pixar movies work much better than Star Wars like absolutely. for adult Ben adult Nathan absolutely okay so adult Jake agrees too yeah but you go back to those movies it's like I, I could, could watch
0: this fresh as an adult without nostalgia and it would actually have things for yeah, no, me. I like, could
2: watch I could watch a Pixar movie by myself or with Definitely. I wouldn't really watch it by myself, I'd watch it with my wife. But yeah. that's mm-hmm. a that's a good thing to do. Like Pixar movies are a great pick after the kids are in bed and you just want to watch something sweet and fun and mm-hmm. funny. Right. <laughs> Unless you would to watch the
1: good dinosaur which is an existential horror movie that happens to be packaged as a children's movie which you probably shouldn't let their kids your kids watch unless they're like 10 or 11 and kind of mature I, i've not seen that one. Oh, it's great but it's actually terrifying like as an, an adult watching it movie. right yeah as an adult watching it you're like this movie this movie is scary like it makes you feel like you're an adult lost and lost in the world without a dad and that's once again off topic. Maybe it just but tapped
2: into something about you, Ben.
1: It, it maybe maybe it did. Maybe. maybe Ben is in fact the good dinosaur. Maybe I am the good dinosaur.
0: And you're a great dinosaur. Oh, thanks, Nathan. Um,
2: <laughs> I object. <laughs> to anyone calling you the calling you a good dinosaur? Good, you
0: say? <laughs> oh boy. Um, and when we were just saying, Star Wars doesn't look really work like that. I go uh, back to yeah. it. I. Don't really care. I could imagine, and I'm sure you have kids. It's been fun showing them Star Wars. I'm sure if I, you know, am blessed with kids, it been will enjoy reliving them through new eyes, all that sort of thing. But there's not really anything much here. No, for there's nothing
2: enjoyable about. Make sure I mean what I'm about to say. Mm. There's really not much to enjoy about watching a Star Wars movie by yourself or with your wife.
1: No. All the
2: pleasure I get out of those movies is having my kids there.
0: Well, if you have a wife like mine, and I think you do, there's really nothing <laughs> that much
3: fun about <laughs> watching
0: a Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> movie because <laughs> she's, she's not enjoying it all that much. I mean, yeah. and she'll enjoy like you know Meredith will enjoy simple, fun entertainments, but for whatever reason,
2: Meredith likes a good fun action movie. Yeah, sure, but Megan too.
0: I don't know. It's interesting. She'd almost, I think, prefer something modern, maybe. Uh, just because it's going to hit her more where she lives or something really really classic like i can show an Errol flynn movie to meredith i haven't done this but i'm guessing i could and she'd like it but there's something about star wars is like in that in between stage where it's not so witty and perfect and classic Mm -hmm. that she actually can get on board on that level yeah and it's also not
1: so fun it's
0: not it's not offering her the kind of junk food that she's accustomed to that she can just easily digest and yeah, enjoy. I
1: know. And action scenes, I mean, fantasy, sci-fi action scenes have gotten a lot better since the original trilogy. Yeah, like it, even in terms of just you just watch. I mean, this is again what you look for in cinema. When you're a kid, it's they're they're the best. Right, the Star Wars movies, just just the best. You like live for the lightsaber fights and the space battles. When you're an adult, you're like this editing is really clunky. Like they keep leaving out stuff that's happening and then cutting to something a second later. And you can just, if you, I don't know, if you watch, even Marvel movies are mm-hmm. a lot better edited than these. They they tell the story of the scene better. I guess we're going to talk about that kind of stuff the, later discussion. The choreography, in our discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Choreography and stuff. But it's, it's changed, and they were figuring a lot of things out, and some of it doesn't work so well as it used to.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the other thing. The movies have moved along. Like, you can see the seams as an adult. It's like when Luke falls down that chute. Uh-huh. That's really obviously not a guy falling down a chute. It's Mark Hamill in front of a green screen with this obvious matte line. The matte line is where they put someone in, and you, there's mm-hmm. this dark line that they didn't have the computers to eliminate back in this back in the day, and so they had to kind of work around it. It re- it works really well for the space stuff because you're against a black background, but a lot of times when you have a monster like that guy that he fights in Jabba's palace, the guy the guy under the oh, floorboards yeah. or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's this big dark. Lying around him a lot of the time, which you can see because the background illuminates it. I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff like that that you notice. I'm like, oh, well, that's a furry piece of nothing that they're pretending is a monster. And it's really well done for what it is, but it definitely, I think you make a fair point, Ben. We can't pretend like technology hasn't moved along. Like what was groundbreaking back then is it's not still groundbreaking. And then you know you'll have these people that'll be like, but. But practical is so much better than
1: digital. Okay, sure. Yeah,
0: Cle- uh, it's not that practical is better than digital. It's that clever is better than boring.
1: Well, and that's why Raiders of the Lost Ark is still a good action movie. Yes, but yeah. Empire Strikes Back is only
0: kind of a good action. Movie. I think it's got. I think it's got a good action scene in it. Well, why don't we talk about that first? Why don't we talk hmm. about the action? In Empire Strikes Back. This well, is going to be a free-ranging. Cool. We're going to go all over the galaxy of this movie, go in a lot of different directions, just like Han and Luke and Leia, all our favorite heroes. I will say, watching the trailer to this movie, watch the trailer right before we started recording. It's instructive and interesting how much of that trailer is built around the affection that they assume people will have for these characters. Hmm. Now you're joining Luke, Han, Chewie. Princess Leia, and the next chapter of the Star Wars Segots, like, the entire appeal is you want to be back with your best friends. Right. Which is Mm -hmm. an important thing that doesn't, an important thing for adults to remember about why these movies work. These characters are so strong and simple and fun, and kids really, really, really love them. Kids love Han Solo. Mm -hmm. Kids love Chewbacca. And the characters kind of seem like nothing to us now that's one of the main things that doesn't work as well watching these movies as an adult they're very two-dimensional flat characters without a lot of great dialogue or anything like that but kids just kids have simpler simple taste, you know but thing of tools mm-hmm. falls on han solo's head i thought that that was the funniest thing in the world it made me laugh when we watched the clip just now yeah <laughs> me too i mean harrison ford's great Harrison Ford is able to simultaneously do two things, which is be completely smugly above the material, like you know that Harrison Ford hates every line that he has to say. We're freezing out here, you know I mean he's he... Harrison Ford has gone on record saying things about the dialogue that I can't repeat on a Christian podcast. he hated it, and you could tell like he's simultaneously completely above the material, and he's able to wink at it constantly and He's simultaneously able to exist so comfortably within that material. It's a really neat trick. We've talked about this with Indiana Jones too, but
2: well, I mean that is a lot of what is great about the casting of all the main characters, except for Mark Hamill, right? In Star, and even in the prequels, for goodness' sake, uh, Ewan McGregor does that really well. Yeah. He's probably
0: the best part of the prequels for that reason, because he's able yeah. to bring a little bit of irony to it. Who,
2: Or he's playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was also played by uh, somebody who could do that right, really well in the original series. Yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's what the, the, the modern equivalent is all those British actors that slummed in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. They didn't care about that material. Alan Rickman does not give a crap about Harry Potter. I don't care what he said in an interview none of these, where he was promoting the movie, no, none of these people cared about Harry Potter. They come from Shakespeare. They come from art. Dame uh, Maggie Smith, you know, these people, mm-hmm. they're they are not excited about reading J.K. Rowling's dialogue. <laughs> but they're able to just enter into it so well and maybe do it with a little bit of a wink, which British people are generally, I think, really good at.
2: But, I mean, I think the same thing is mostly true of a lot of marvel characters yeah. and actors i mean mm-hmm. i think that there are the the sort of legacy actors that this is their life the chris hemsworth's and the chris Evanses, right but there are the like the idris elba's and the gwyneth paltrow's who aren't even fully aware what movies they appear in and have <laughs> never seen any of the movies that they've played a role in right
1: you know idris elba too True. Yeah, okay. he was. I just saw. Uh-huh. I That's brought
2: cool. him up because I saw a thing where somebody was asking him about Heimdall, and he was like not sure if Heimdall was alive or not still, and right. <laughs> he hadn't awesome. seen in game, and
0: well, see, Inazuma, <laughs> I would actually use as a bad example of what I'm talking about. To me, he looks embarrassed in those Marvel movies, and I don't blame him because they give him embarrassing, stupid stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he re- didn't regretted everything. I think it ever he something. looked
2: embarrassed in uh, Ragnarok.
0: Yeah, that was a better one. But in some of those early Thor movies, I don't know, I just got the feeling like, what am I doing here? And to me, that's the opposite of like Harrison Ford can communicate both. I'm better than this. And I'm really willing to just play in this sandbox because I'm getting a nice paycheck and or for whatever reason, I'm just like, (laughs) he can be completely present and completely ironic at the same time. And I think... It's a neat trick. It's 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 Robert Robert Downey Jr.'s trick as well. But that's something that a great star can do with that material.
2: He managed to come all the way through and feel entirely sincere by the end, though.
0: Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he well, yep, hes just he a good actor. That's all there is to that. But we were going to talk about the action scenes, Ben.
1: Hmm. You say they don't work—not as well as they did—not
0: as well as they did as a kid. Yep. Yeah. Explain yourself,
1: sir. Well, how should I explain myself? You've I got the att
0: att attack. Is that what those mm-hmm. things are called? You got the Walker yep. attack. Yep, yep. The, the battle of Hoth. The,
1: yep. The battle of Hoth.
0: You've got the asteroid. You've got the Han and Leia doing little stuff through mm-hmm. the seconds mm-hmm. through Act Two, and then you've got a big lightsaber battle at the end. Yep. And so,
1: is that all? Wasn't there anything else?
0: Well, there's a lot of little bits and pieces with Han and Leia. There's the asteroid field. Yeah, there's yeah, the yeah. fleeing the monster in the asteroid. There's hmm. I suppose there's some gunplay and. Cloud City. Cloud City, right, yes. Nothing too exciting (laughs) Exciting
1: there. Exciting gunplay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the Battle of Hoth is pretty cool, but I don't know how to start talking about it. It, it, When you watch it as an adult, you think of it in so many different ways, not Mm -hmm. just choreography, but like Jake was just saying as we watched the clip, this technology doesn't make any sense. These at at I think it's atat AT walkers. AT, AT, yeah. There's there's atst which are the smaller ones. The yes. two-legged. That's right. Yeah, atat AT walkers. They just don't make any sense. This technology. <laughs> no. Nathan was actually the one that pointed that out. Was they, he the they, one who said yeah, that? Yeah, but they only. Okay.
2: What I said is they only they exist because monstrous, scary mm-hmm. dog. That's right. Robots are really cool and scary and fun. Well, Lucas actually yeah. said
0: everything for him goes back to World War II, and he said. Or, or even World War One, you know, all the footage and serials and action movies and stuff that he grew up with, and so he said, "Tanks are the scariest part of warfare, and let's imagine tanks on legs, <laughs> basically <laughs> giant tanks yeah, up in the sky, spider tanks, yeah, spider tanks, no, it's, it's, spider it's, tanks. It's a, it's a great tanks. idea. Yeah, like, I don't,
1: is. I don't, I don't mind it at all. But we were just, it's just the kind of thing you think about when you see it, right? I, so that one, since that's the best scene, action scene in the movie." It's hard to, I don't know how I criticized it. It just looks like a cool action scene from an old movie to me.
0: Well, what's you interesting go. about old action versus new action, and generally, I side with old action on this, especially when it's done by like Spielberg and Raiders of the Lost mm-hmm. Ark. New action is almost always about creating excitement through, well, okay, how do I say this? Action is always about create. You know, cinema is about creating excitement through editing, right? Yep. But new action, the editing style almost always changes when the action scene starts the movie as a whole has one style there's another style for the action scenes this is almost every action movie that you'll watch these days a marvel movie not so much you got two
2: vibes you've got the Mm -hmm. you've got the character vibes and then you've got the action vibes
0: right and this is largely because of the way that they do movies now they will pre-vis these action scenes pre-visualize for you non-movie nerds they will put everything in a computer and figure out the what they want to do and then a lot of times a whole different team will film these action scenes with marvel you know they have their, marvel
2: it is a completely different team
0: they have their people yeah so the russo brothers directing an avengers movie are going to be handling the dialogue and the major character moments and they will have two or three assistant directors and the russo brothers will oversee everything to give mm-hmm. it to tie it all together and give it a continuity but the fact is a lot of that action is going to be shot by second unit and second unit directors shoot lots of things. Second unit is nothing new. Every movie that you've ever enjoyed that was made that's not an indie small budget movie used second unit directors one way or another. So, you know, we shouldn't look down on them for that. But the so much of it is homogenized in a certain way now that the Marvel movies have a certain style of action and it doesn't matter which director, you know. Um, I would mm. say the exception to that is Mr. Gunn. James yep. Gunn, obviously, is someone that thinks about how to, how he would want to choreograph his incredibly mean-spirited and violent set pieces. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's very true. <laughs>
0: because he really enjoys thinking about fun ways of... Uh, killing people um, with little flying arrows and stuff like that, and and milking those scenes for every ounce of revenge and sadistic glee,
2: and you know, I there's mean, some unique things about the way that uh, Ragnarok was. Those action scenes were shot too. I think mm-hmm. yeah. they, they were particularly
0: fun. Sometimes they, they were particularly fun. They they had some big they, beats.
2: They did. A, yeah, yeah, they had these. You know, we're going to imitate. You know, this like ancient sculpture moment. Like yeah. kind of of everybody crawling on top of each other up to you know with the spear and the, th- the god of thunder coming down and
0: yeah but but what, how i would categorize that action is the director probably had like a four or five of, images that he wanted to hit yeah, thor right. coming out of a jump, bunch of guys you know kind of the frank frazetta paintings you know those old conan the barbarian where conan's on a pile of bodies and there's a woman clinging yeah, exactly. to his leg he he wanted to hit some of those moments or valkyrie obviously coming down on Cate yep. Blanchett he had a couple of those moments and then in between to me all feels like kind of standard Marvel yeah. filler agreed but the larger point my I only gonna...
2: point is that there is there are at least a couple of moments that feel like they've got fingerprints on them yes and aren't which is nice art uh, completely designed by the men in black yes. yeah
1: and that's how that's how actually the first Avengers movie felt too. Joss Whedon you could feel that he put a lot of heart I think into that giant city battle yeah. yes that, yeah, that battle was amazing.
2: In the opening scene of Ultron.
1: Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it's, so it's not that these movies won't have indivi- the,
0: the individual stamp of their creators on them. It's just the only real point I was trying to make is that the action is generally done in a computer or done by different people. Hmm. And a lot of times it just feels like, okay, now it's time for the action scene. You You watch a Jason Statham movie. You watch a modern Sylvester Stallone movie. You watch one of those. Fast and Furious movies. It's like now it's time for the action scene, and suddenly the cutting gets really fast. Yeah, and
1: it's all—it's kind of a boring thing to do.
0: Yeah, it really is. And what I appreciate about these old movies is that no, we're just still telling a story. The story just happens to be something exciting is happening now. So we're not—we're only cutting as much as we need to do to establish quick spatial relationships and choreography, and you know, there's things that are happening happening quickly. But we're getting mm-hmm. them in the same kind of coverage that we would if two people were talking to each other, and yeah. that's what makes an old movie feel kind of old and even feel kind of stale sometimes when it's even, not yeah. when it's not done well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the classic example is Obi Wan and Darth Vader fighting. You could really jazz that up. You know, you, you have, people you, have yeah yeah yeah. You can f- go on the internet and find somebody who's recut that and added a couple things in, and they make you. Can, there's a way to make, but even you know, you have an old man that can't move that well, and you got a guy in a robot suit that can't move that well. <laughs> you 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 give a modern director that problem, and they will attempt to jazz it up just through cutting you know just through editing they will try and right. give some momentum to the scene another aspect of that that I don't like about modern movies is that I often think the momentum's not inherently there. Ben likes the born movies. I like the Bourne movies. I actually think the Bourne movies are pretty well done for that really quick jittery cutting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the bad influence that they had on a lot of movies like Batman Begins, for example, yeah, oh, man. was that nothing interesting is inherently happening. There's no, no, no momentum. No. It's just...
1: It's bad visual storytelling. We're cutting together cut a bunch really of fast stuff fast to make, to make, make it w- make you
0: feel like things are happening. Yeah. And b- we'll get from point A, where Batman's up on top of the cliff, to point B, where he's down and the thing has exploded and all the ninjas are dead just by throwing a bunch of garbage in there, but we'll make it go really fast. And so...
1: Yeah, I hate that. I mean, so I think what we could say is that both the new style and the old style could be done in a cookie cutter way. Yes. this careless. But Empire Strikes Back scene is not careless. The Hoth Hoth scene. No, the Hoth scene is a great action scene, I think. I,
0: I really like it. And it's because the challenge is clear. The visual... Here's the kind of simple things that filmmakers don't do anymore. The good guys are all coming from the left. The bad guys are all coming from the right. So the spatial relationships are always really, really clear. Like there's just things like that that you wouldn't even think about. That, like, okay, so Marvel movie, what's it? Uh, what? What, what's the latest one? The the big Avengers one.
2: Endgame.
0: game. game. Same thing. Good guys are coming from the left bad guys are coming from the right basically mm-hmm. for that yeah, yeah. big battle
2: yeah. and not yeah for the whole duration of the battle i think that mm-hmm. holds true
0: yeah so i'm, I'm not saying people it's pretty classic yeah it's pretty right. classic i mean we read left to right so exactly. of course of course good guys are going to come from the left actually mm-hmm. interesting although if you think about the raiders of the lost ark truck chase it's right to left, is right to left. Whole, yeah. it's right to left but it's the nazis getting away with the ark so it's the bad guys driving the wrong direction
2: well, Indy is the lone opposition.
0: Right. And if you think about it, when he comes into that little thing at the very end, after he's won, he drives into the market and is hidden. He's going from left to right. Yeah. Huh. So, And I'm not necessarily saying that they thought that through. It was 100% through. intentional. It was 100% yeah. intentional. But I think our brains do work that way. It and is the kind of
2: thing that you would even tend to do subconsciously.
0: Yeah, well, it helps make visual sense. I mean, if people have watched probably the best modern action movie is Mad Max Fury Road. And there's a 1000 things happening in that movie at every moment. But it's always really clear the spatial relationships. And it's because of simple little tricks like that. It's because you're conveying visual information in ways that our brains are trained to recognize. And you're doing things, and the other thing that you're doing is set up and payoff. Max will look, he will see guys coming this direction, he will register it, then those guys will come from that direction. So we as an audience already know what the spatial relationships were, where they are. You know, you you watch some random bad Jason Statham movie, they're just going to suddenly pop out. He will be dealing with stuff. It's always in the moment. It's never about cause and effect. It's never about linear storytelling. It's always about just something's happening now. Something's happening now. Something's happening now. And I think that mm-hmm. is the bad influence of the Bourne yeah. style. Although Bourne is more clever than that, I will give Ben credit. He loves those the, the action in those movies. I think mm-hmm. within the choppy style, yeah. those movies do manage to tell a well, linear story. Generally, yes, yes,
1: yeah, you you can actually see the storytelling happening. You just have to put up with the quick editing, and you might even like it, like I do. Right. But I but I don't like it done badly, not at all. I and I'm sorry that it's had that influence. Right, we seem so. to be recovering from that from that
0: era. Uh
2: huh. But we, the other thing we don't
0: have these days... Well, we're going to
2: get a new Matrix movie, so the game's going to get changed again. The game's
0: so. going to get changed again. Well, those movies have great action. Those movies... Yeah. Uh, say what you will about Lana and the the Wachowski siblings. They don't even invoke their names. Yeah. Say what you will about Larry and... Andy. Andy Wachowski, okay. the Wachowski brothers. But they knew how to design an action sequence. They did. Those fellas.
1: Yep. Yeah, they did. Oh, wow. Well... Maybe it would be helpful if we talked about the not as great action sequence, which is the big lightsaber sequence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is still kind of cool. But what, what doesn't work about it? I'll
0: tell you what doesn't work about it. First of all, it totally works. I mean, it's great. It's yeah. iconic. Yep. It, the storytelling is good. The emotion's there. Mm-hmm. The music does yeah. so much.
2: Mm-hmm. It, we, you know, we, the we, absence of music. Yeah, well, yeah. and then yeah. Yeah, the yeah, moments yeah. where if yeah. you if
0: you watch the scene, there's no music until Vader starts... B- Using the force to really own Luke, and then the music comes in with the best statement of the Imperial March that's probably ever been done. And then when he cuts off, the music dies again. And then when he cuts off Luke's hand, it starts. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly, but yeah, just the the sound effects, the music, everything's there. It tells a great story. The reason the choreography isn't that impressive, the reason it doesn't quite register as a great lightsaber fight, I think, has a lot to do with, for me at least, not having a clear idea of what the environment is. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just a lot of garbage. So you know there's a staircase, basically. And they do some stuff with the staircase. And you know there's a hole that Luke shouldn't fall into. Mm -hmm. And a modern Jason Statham movie wouldn't necessarily give you that much. So there's a lot that this movie does Uh, right, simply because it's not using bad modern habits. But you're not necessarily sure who's coming from where at certain places. And I'd say that's probably just because they had a guy in a robot suit and a kid that
2: yeah. Couldn't move his body. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't in a, a great athlete. way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In a convincingly athletic way.
0: I think um, they really I solved mean, that problem for Return of the Jedi. As a kid, that's one of the reasons you love Return of the Jedi more is because that lightsaber fight yeah, is really yeah. cool. That feels and powerful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure it's faster. And then I I'm sorry if this is blasphemy among the faithful, but I love the lightsaber fights in the prequel trilogy. I think no, they're, they're really cool. The the Darth Maul fight is great i mean that's the main one that's really really good i think that's right but the final anakin what's his face confrontation wasn't everything it could have been it got a little goofy with them with the cgi lava and everything
1: riding on robots yeah Yeah, i felt i felt bored during that fight and i wanted to love it so i don't think it was just my cynicism even though i didn't well whatever anyway yes
0: but that movie has some those movies have some really cool lightsaber fights that i like yeah
1: well, there's also, I think the lightsaber fight in Empire Strikes Back is, it's like, so if you watch a samurai movie, mm-hmm. which was one of Lucas's influences, the way that a sword fight is filmed is very old school. It's very, I mean, even today when Japanese directors make samurai films, they tend towards an older style, like a slower style right. of editing and storytelling. And it serves it well, because a lot of those kinds of fight is like, you're waiting for someone to actually swing their sword. Right. Because you know if they do, someone might die right then. Right. And so it's like Empire Strikes Back is kind of in that style. And it's also trying to be a little faster and add flips and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it can't quite do either one. Like it can almost do the slower form. Like now I'm going to swing my sword and you're going to block it. That would have been a lot faster with Japanese actors because they were trained in sword play. Right. So it would have looked a lot more compelling. Right. In that slow editing style, which it still does. If you watch Kurosawa. Mm Mm-hmm they're fast, like when they actually swing a sword, they're fast, it doesn't feel like you're watching an actor trying to remember how to practice a
0: swing. And trying not to kill his acting partner. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's like, oh, he actually, this guy knows how to use a sword, it's like you're in Japan Mm -hmm. in that era. But in Star Wars, it's like, well, you don't really know how to swing that quickly. In this Star Wars. (laughs) In this Star Wars, that's what I mean. You don't know how to to swing anything.
2: Well, as a kid, I remember as a kid, thinking man this guy's supposed to be like super special like he's supposed to he has this the force that mm-hmm. gives i mean him are you of, talking about vader or luke now i'm talking about luke mm-hmm. he's got the force that gives him precognition mm-hmm. and the way that he whiffs all the things that vader's throwing at him mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, yeah yeah, yeah, Whoa, yeah. Whoa, oops, is, yeah it's yeah. like i you know as a kid i thought you could blindfold me and give me a chance to swing at a pinata and i would look better at it than that you like, could get uh, yeah.
0: daniel stern and joe pesci in there and they'd <laughs> yeah. do a better job
2: exactly <laughs> like you know like get some paint cans I mean, I mean you have to think about how many of the kids growing up mm-hmm. have you know swung a baseball bat right a baseball before way not faster mark hamill than any of them way faster way faster way more accurate at this little yeah. tiny ball yeah like yeah. Versus like, yeah, Mark Hamill swinging at these huge things that are coming slowly towards him. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, and you also think about Errol Flynn and scenes that had already been done and how fast those sword fights were. Way, way faster than anything in Empire Strikes Back. And so it's like they didn't quite have the old stagecraft Mm -hmm. of Errol Flynn. And they couldn't, they were trying to do this fantasy stuff, flipping and jumping. And they they didn't quite have the visual language down for representing it all. And so what you get is like, it's slow. Okay. He jumps off something. Where does he land? Okay, now he's in front of this tunnel. Wait, how did he... Where's that tunnel in relation to that staircase? We don't know. He's walking through the tunnel. Okay, now he's here. It's just all these bits cobbled together. Mm -hmm. If you've watched the prequels, and if you've watched, say,
2: Clone Wars and even Rebels, that gives you a taste of what Anakin can do and what Vader can do. There's a way to you have to do some work in your mind but there's a way to watch that scene that for the most part plays like Vader is toying with an <laughs> amateur child. Right. And impressive. He, it, most, most impressive. impressive. <laughs> yeah like he's just like you know like a kid with a five year old. Well mm-hmm. and
0: let me play devil's advocate
2: the scene kind of
0: works on that level even, even apart, from, apart from that just, right? even Just with the context of the movie because Luke's supposed to be the brash guy that ran in when his mentors told him not to. Hmm. He's supposed to suck. Right. Vader, I would say Vader is a more successful action figure in that scene. He is. He's got some goofy moments that aren't quite there, but he basically does seem like a scary guy that just has to stand there and do the samurai thing.
1: And he's faster. Yeah, and he's, he's faster.
2: faster. And he's more zen at the same time. Yep,
0: and yep. he's And he's able to just like he hits Luke and Luke falls down the stairs simply because of the strength of his blow. So you get right. the impression that he doesn't have to be that fast.
2: Well, and all of a sudden you realize he can be parrying Luke's blocks while throwing things at him with the force. Right. Like, right. <laughs>
0: I would say the flips that Luke does, a lot of the stuff that Luke does is what's is what's actually lame about the scene. And you could argue that all st- serves a, a story purpose, I guess. I'd say some of it does feel like Some of it feels like George Lucas isn't directing the movie. He's got a guy that's directing it for him and the guy just shot a bunch of footage and it just doesn't feel like there's quite...
1: The moments that don't work are the moments
2: where Luke, where they feel like they need to give, make it feel like Luke has a chance or that Luke has a moment over Vader. Right. He knocks him down the hole. He hits him in the arm. Mm -hmm. Those moments don't sell.
0: Right. The moments that work are... Vader is foreboding. When Vader's just in silhouette, when you first yeah. see him, you don't you can't even make out the features. Mm-hmm. He's just this black shape. That's awesome. And then as mm-hmm. Jake pointed out when we were watching, Vader's red lightsaber turns on really slowly. Yeah. <laughs> it,
2: it always turns on slower. Luke's all the good guys <laughs> Vader oh yeah, all the good guys' sabers shoot up, but Vader's is always ominously half a beat
1: slower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty great.
2: And then I love
0: actually it's one of those things where if you think about the spatial, it's like a horror movie where it's like someone's standing in a field and suddenly they're surprised by someone. And the only reason they're surprised is because that person stepped into camera frame, not because right. spatially they'd actually be surprised at yeah. all. Yeah. I hate that kind of thing in movies. So suddenly a cat jumps out of the woods and and makes a loud <laughs> sound and there's a the strings go nuts on the soundtrack and it's like you're supposed to be scared. And it's like, no, the person in real life. Wouldn't be surprised by that cat. You're just (laughs) trying to lie to me and tell me that they would. (laughs) Uh, There's a moment like that that I think really works well in Empire Strikes Back, which is where Luke's in the hallway and doesn't know where Vader is. And then the way they have Vader walk into frame, it's like Luke would already see him and register it. But it's actually a pretty great bit of cinematic manipulation where suddenly his shoulder is in frame left there and he's walking up and it's just ominous. And you can imagine kids on the edge of their seats in the theater in 1980 oh man they, they all screamed right that's actually a jump scare moment but it's not over overdone like one it's just a very simple bad guy walks into frame and that's awesome yeah it's great how many lightsabers out of four do you give this action scene ben the the final the finals fight the
1: final I, I don't know that's that's just hard to ask there's like kid ben and then there's adult ben Adult Ben is still enjoying it, even though he's critical. So
0: I'll tell you, Kid Nathan would have given it two and a half, I think, because Kid Nathan always would have said this was one of the lamer lightsaber fights. Kid Nathan actually probably would have been harder on this than adult Nathan. Adult Nathan can appreciate a lot of the storytelling stuff they were doing. Kid Nathan was just like, well, this isn't as cool
1: as it would be in Return of the Jedi. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe three and a half. Lightsabers out of four,
0: three and a half lightsabers. That's 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 more generous than I was expecting. Yeah,
1: as a kid, I probably would have I would have been either three or three and a half.
0: I'm just gonna go with a straight three. I think it's a fine lightsaber fight. I think it's got some things to recommend it and some storytelling stuff that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's an emotional scene, as you know, for the saga. But in terms of action choreography, it is a little lamer yeah, yeah, than. Yeah. I don't think it's if it if it really wanted Luke to be as lame as it he actually is, then it'd be one thing but yeah. it feels like it yep. does things that it doesn't mean to do. Yeah. So, I'm docking it at a lightsaber for that. So much mm-hmm. of
2: everything dumb about these movies has been retconned into being right. intentional awesome. intentional. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um that's kind of funny. But it's true. It's just the way that I was going to give it 3, but now I'm going to give it 4. 4. Wow. 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 So this is a flawless lightsaber <laughs> fight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> Trying to make it interesting. You can give you it a four it that way. You
0: can take one. You can you can take one for all the people that are mad at us right now for not just being like
2: Star Wars is the best. Are there those people out there that still listen to us? I don't know why they do. <laughs> There's probably a couple of masochists. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I think the imagery of it all, the way that those corridors and, oh, and yeah. things work. It's fantastic. If you put the if you put the imagery together with just the fact that We've been looking forward to this and, uh, and terrified of this. D- don't forget the setup, the cave setup yes. for this scene. which is right? great, yeah. Cave setup is awesome. Mm-hmm. And so you have this amazing cave setup. You know He goes into the dark force cave and cuts off Vader's head and oh, it's him, actually. And then he's disappointed. We have no idea what's gonna happen. He shouldn't be doing this thing. That's right. all we know is he shouldn't be doing this thing now he's facing down yeah the scary bad guy in yep. this dark place that's got these red highlights. Right. I think it works. The dramatic tension works even if as an action scene it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. got some really lame things about it. Well, it's
1: it. it's hard to you can't totally separate action choreography from the bigger scene it's part of. So Yeah.
2: And the other thing is um I think that you can't I think if you're going to enjoy Star Wars, you have to accept the Retconning of all of stupidity. <laughs> it, it, that's part of that's part of enjoying part of it. the fun. Yeah, part of the fun. Of it. Like I have fun watching these scenes and thinking at, at every point. Like the audience is being introduced to ATATs, but in the mythology, these things have been around for a really, really long time, right. and everybody knows what they are and what they're. But you know, because the audience is being introduced to them for the first time everybody's surprised and has to like ex- oh no their defenses are too strong for our blasters <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know every little thing like that that has become like the empire since these robotic droids right drone scout things we've never seen it the- well they're all over the place hey and- on old buddy it's a random innocent meteor i guess i'll go check it out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Well, there are no life forms on that pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you can't be too much of a stickler about these things. It's really cool. What I what I do want to say about all the action and all the design in this movie is this is what I absolutely hate about these new Star Wars movies is that they only repackage and digest and regurgitate things from other Star Wars movies. Uh, so even so the big boring. salt planet fight in Jedi or uh, Last Jedi, it's like AT and T. It's AT T walkers, basically. Again, I mean it's it's variations, right? But mm-hmm. it's the same stuff. And what they're drawing on is not the pulp mythology, not 20th century warfare, not all the mm-hmm. stuff that George Lucas actually drew on to create all this cool new stuff that that triggered so much emotion and imagination among young boys, especially. Right, but just star wars mm-hmm. like it this the snake is eating its tail and i really 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 hate that i really hate that it's why i, I always want to give a few points <laughs> to that stupid casino scene in last jedi because at least he was drawing on a source that's not exactly star wars like here's the new thing you know we took lost what would las vegas look like in star wars it's like that takes not much imagination but one iota more than most any of the new Star Wars stuff has had about their world design. Everything's just going to happen on desert planets. It's going to happen with the same kind of ships. Slight variations, yes. You know, we're supposed to be excited about these Sith troopers. Yeah. Eh, Red Stormtroopers. Red Stormtroopers. Uh, Oh, okay, cool. You've repackaged... You found a way to slightly repackage what I already liked. Whereas in this movie, like you can feel... and, And all through the prequel trilogy, too. You can feel Lucas always... Not always doing a good job of it, but just always wanting to create new stuff, always wanting to draw on new sources, always wanted to bring more associations from literature, from filmmaking, from hmm. the 20th century, from all the kind of action and pulp and sci-fi stuff that he liked, and from all the real world kind of stuff that he liked. You could always feel him drawing on more stuff. So for this movie, he said, let's have tanks on legs. That'd be something new. No one has shown that <laughs> much imagination, even that much in these new Star
2: Wars movies. It's just what if the Millennium Falcon this? What if there was a thing like the Death Star? I know. We'll start the first movie on a desert planet, <laughs> right? Then move to a forest planet, then move to an ice planet. Right.
1: Oh boy. Well, what I yeah, I remember reading all of the, what's it called? The expanded universe books. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. I stopped at some point, but I probably read like 20 to 30. You mean like the legendary books. universe now? Is that what they all know? And that's what it's called. Okay. It legendary right universe down. books. Yeah. And man, those books have the Lucas spirit about them. They're like, now there's a totally new planet. Oh, here's like five new alien species. Oh, look, here's a new thing you can do with the force. Here's a new character. She's going to be a love interest for Luke. Oh, here's a plant that grows that inhibits the use of the force. Right. Luke has to figure that out now. It's like some, I mean, sure, some of them just stunk. But <laughs> right, right, but some. But when they when they got anything right, it was super fun. Right, and you you never knew what you were gonna get. You're gonna have like new adventures. You're gonna have new planets. That's a lot of what's cool about Clone Wars is you've got
2: Anakin and Obi Wan running around the entire galaxy in the Outer Rim, and there are all these new planets and right. all these huh. new. Th- there are Force witches and there are Force. Cool, there's all kinds of like there are these weird. It's it the lore gets really deep and really cool and really fun and really interesting and the really colorful and you see you get to see where some of the some of it's like you know you get the the backstory of the of the civil war of the the dude the dudes with the headtails mm-hmm. from Return of the Jedi right Twi'leks, I think they're called huh. and you get the whole backstory of their civil war on their planet mm-hmm. and how there's. All kinds of fun stuff. Like Twilights,
0: yep. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, the Twi'light is one of the guys. That he, like he's Jabba's consigliere, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I like those guys. Yeah. yeah, and and Star Wars, just watching the few clips from Empire Strikes Back that we did before, it just reminded me how much it always felt like you were in another alien galaxy as a kid, and you were exploring. I think we've made this point before in our Star Wars series, but it's like you, you are exploring new worlds, and these new ones, for all their virtues, and they do have them. They just don't feel like that. It feels like, oh, we're back in good old reliable Star Wars land where Mm -hmm. people are always living out their destinies on desert planets and (laughs) having space battles and lightsaber fights. It's like, you see, even even the crummiest CGI scenes in some of those later prequels, here's the mushroom planet, here's the rain planet, wherever Mm -hmm. it's always raining and it's just oceans. Here's the weird scraggly desert planet with mosquito people here's the this here's the that it's mm-hmm. just like the imagination is boundless and not all of it works some of it's pretty corny but
2: geonosis
0: geonosis yes that's what i was looking for geonosis actually feels like a different kind of a desert planet
2: it well and so much of geonosis actually is the caves
0: yeah the, the, those weird cavern things it's, yeah it's like that's what's fun about a space movie is seeing different
1: mm-hmm yeah yeah that was certainly Stuff. certainly the draw um, it was like reading those books was the same draw I had as a kid, like mm-hmm. uh, and just for adventure and new stuff. Right. You didn't know what you were going to get.
0: But I love that each movie has an identifiable environment. It's actually not all desert. It's New Hope is desert, Empire is snow, and Return of the Jedi is forest, redwood, Californian, giant, big, right. big tree forest. You could probably actually kind of do the same. The prequel... The prequels, the first one's desert again. They actually probably match, knowing how the ge- mm-hmm. George Lucas's lame uh, first one's desert. The second one, I would say, is city. It's, um, it's yeah. City,
1: and it has that water planet with a big fight between Obi Wan and uh, Jada Fett. Yeah, and then
0: the third one, you you dissociate lava with it. Probably, you know, mm-hmm. it's dark, yeah. scary, and so again, they have these signatures. Yeah, but the all the new movies have just been like Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars stuff happens on Star Wars kinds of places. I think it's self-defeating. I I think it sells less toys. Like, you know, if you if you if you want if you want people <laughs> to be invested in your merchandise, then don't just come up with variations on the old merchandise. Come up with But porgs.
2: Yeah, well, I think Ryan Johnson and Chewbacca was going to eat them and Yeah. Ryan Johnson Ryan comes
0: Johnson. the closest. I think Ryan Johnson yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson for all his faults is a real filmmaker with some craftsmanship and he I think tried to actually Give some some signatures to his environments, and you have the casino planet, you have the you have Snoke's throne room, which is really cool. Luke's planet kind of has a personality, I guess, and i am not not really a great yeah. one, but yeah, it's uh, the island,
2: uh, that yeah we've seen in other movies now playing a planet <laughs> scotland or Ireland yeah, is it the Isle of Sky, which isle was it? I don't know I don't know what island. I think it's an Irish isle mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken,
0: you guys. There's a lot more to talk about in Empire Strikes Back than just action and technology. What? There is. This is the movie that really defined the mythos of the Force and Yoda and all that stuff. So how do you guys feel about Yoda and the Force? How do you feel about Yoda and the Force as kids? Oh, you like Yoda and the Force? One of my great interview questions. It was. <laughs> That's why they make me host. So I can ask these kinds of scintillating questions.
2: Oh, how'd you, Did you guys like Yoda as a kid? Yes, I like the idea of Yoda but not until he was done being a trickster.
0: You didn't like trickster Yoda?
2: No. He felt mean. He <laughs> felt mean? Interesting.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I kind of like trickster Yoda. So
0: you weren't a, a mute? I hate that Ryan Johnson brought back Trickster Yoda in uh Ugh. Last Jedi. Like yeah, he's going to show that. up and use his trickster persona. Why? Luke
2: have a serious conversation Aren't we with past the dude. Aren't we past that Are we past that?
0: Yeah, yeah that uh, I always thought the scene was funny where he was him and R two were arguing over the that gross looking Dunkaroo biscuit. Starts hitting him with his cane, and mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. I, I like that. Fine. I, I like. Uh, I like. I mean, Yoda's a good mentor. Good mentor character. You feel like you'd want to please him.
0: Yeah, but he's never pleased. I mean, he's I never pleased. I was. What I actually felt. Maybe this is part of what Jake felt when he says it was mean. When Yoda's playing that trick, like even as a kid, the first time seeing the movie, I don't think I knew who Yoda was, but I just knew the formula well enough by then. I actually remember being like, It's Yoda, you idiot. <laughs> and you are doing nothing to recommend yourself to him right now. You are getting yeah. everything wrong. And if I was in your place, I'd I, I would I would stop you. You wanna like reach into the movie and be like, Look, you need yeah. to be impressing this guy, not saying he's a great warrior and you're like you're saying everything wrong wars not make one great dude like <laughs> stop <laughs> wow. don't be irritated have you never read a fairy tale you have to treat vulnerable little apparently not but that's just luke you know hobgoblins with respect because they'll turn out to be great wizards so you like the idea of yoda
2: you didn't actually like yoda and I, I liked him when he turned into wise sage yoda i think maybe i just didn't i don't know i haven't thought about I, I think maybe I just didn't like those scenes. I didn't like the whiny Luke, shut up, you You know, you have no idea who you're messing with here, mm-hmm. who you're dealing with. I love Yoda pulling the whole stupid ship out of the swamp. Yeah, but even there, everything
0: about Yoda is Steering. pessimism and failure and discipline. And I, I like, you know, we talked a lot, we've talked a lot in our Narnia booking episodes about the the importance of having actual discipline in your your children's narratives. So the idea that Luke, unlike Harry Potter, gets things wrong and has to be reprimanded is is a powerful one. And I think it lends weight and gravity to these scenes and makes them land. But man, I wish Luke got one thing right. Mm. Or at least I did as a kid. Like I just really felt like every scene is about Luke doing the wrong thing, being brash, Yoda sighing and be dis- being disappointed. I mean, is, there's not a moment where Luke, Get something right. Like, he does everything wrong. It's weird in Return of the Jedi that he's suddenly a master awesome. and mm-hmm. Yoda has nothing else to teach him because their relationship was entirely uh, strained. This kid it might be our last hope, but...
2: He really does suck. He really does suck Yeah, well, you know, a whole lot of things happen between episodes five and six that, you know, we just didn't get to We just didn't get to see. <laughs> yeah, if you, you know, pay attention to the extended universe like Ben uh, did, you would know all the things. So. I, I guess I would. I guess I would. I
1: think I read between five and six. I was just more interested in after. I guess I'm going to have to go back, Jake, and fill in the gaps. <laughs> fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you will. I think <laughs> there's, a. I mean, there are explanations
2: for how Luke made all these jumps. Mm-hmm. And I think little quests he probably had to go on and
1: stuff like that. Oh, I'm sure there are.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I I do love the trope of mentor trickster. I've always loved that. I I I love the hobbits, just thinking Gandalf some old man that does fireworks. Yeah. Gandalf the White is always lurking, you know. The, Gandalf really is Gandalf the White. That's that's all that's all there is to it. It's not like he's reborn as anything other than the essence of what he always was, but
1: well, you know, just more so. Just more so. N- not really cloaked anymore. Right,
0: but I love I love the cloaked aspect of it. I love mm-hmm. that Gandalf does just present as this grumpy old man and until he's in a fight with a, you know, a deep second age creature of the Underworld. <laughs> You're not really aware of just how powerful he is. I really like that kind of stuff. I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff in, in Fairy Tale and The Trickster, of course, is one of uh Carl Jung's archetypes. Yep. I think we've already explained Carl Jung. People don't know about Jungian yeah. stuff like that. I think we already talked about it on, on Star Wars. But it's an archetype that you've got Loki, you've got I was trying to think. I went on a little Google rabbit trail trying to think of all the tricksters type characters.
2: Loki's the most infamous one.
0: Yeah, he's also a not a mentor. Like, Loki's no. a bad dude. Although often in the old mythology and in the new Marvel mythology, he's teamed up with Thor or one of the heroes. And you never quite know whether he's going to betray him. And I think Loki does cause Ragnarok, which is a bit of a bummer. The big precedents that I found were Merlin of course. I mean, the most famous thing that Merlin, the reason Arthur exists is because Merlin transformed Uther Pendragon so he could look like some other dude so he could sleep with this chick that he really wanted to sleep with. Arthur's existence is predicated on a trick Merlin played and then there's a bunch of stuff like in La Mort Arthur. even after I think Arthur's already met Merlin and know who knows who he is, Merlin will meet Arthur in the guise of an old man or in the guise of, yeah, of something else. Yeah, you find that sort
2: of thing not even in La Mort Arthur but in other Arthur stories
0: yeah and it's like I'm just going to teach you a lesson here or give you a piece yeah, of information and, sometimes
2: Arthur can tell right that he's dealing with sometimes Arthur knows he's dealing with Merlin in disguise and sometimes he doesn't
0: Merlin kind of keeps his own counsel like you're not yeah. su- you're not always sure what why Merlin had to be disguised as an old man or as an old lady or something yeah. like that <laughs> but <laughs> what he does it's just what he does like he's never straight with you you never quite yep. you are, are able to stand on solid ground with him. The other things that I found the the, the big precedents for this type of character, you've got a lot in African folklore, like Anansi the spider. Oh, yeah. You guys know Anansi yep, yep. the spider? No. Mhm. Anansi the spider is this character in It's Af- like
1: the spider god kind of or something. Yeah. Like?
0: Well, he's also he's similar to Brer Rabbit, who's another African character that's come down to us. But they're both these characters that don't have a lot of, you know, it's a spider and a rabbit. They don't and they're always going up against coyotes and things like this and they don't have a lot of power in and of themselves you know they're not powerful creatures and so every story is just a story of anansi tricking some more power you know a lion or a crocodile or something into doing exactly what he wants yeah yeah exactly well that was the other one that i thought of was odysseus Mm -hmm. is like the classic when he when he returns to the suitors he's going to pretend to be a beggar and none of them are going to take them him seriously and they're all going to mistreat him yep and, and they're all gonna get what they deserve. Yeah, and they're all gonna get what they they deserve. And it's it's Odysseus's tactic. What's that? The gins and like Arabian, Arabian Nights. Arabian Nights. Yeah, yeah, Arabian Nights. It's always disguise, and a lot of the Arabian Nights is actually sex stuff. Like if I, which is what Arthur has too, which is if I pretend to be her husband, I can get what I want. If I act like this person, you know, mm-hmm. it's you can get into some pretty dark. Stuff. The other story that's like ubiquitous across a lot of Western cultures is uh, Grimm's Grimm's fairy tale has it. The version of in there is called King Thrushbeard. You guys remember that one? No, it's remind a me. Yeah. it's a haughty princess that rejects all these suitors. She names this this one suitor this this great prince. She calls him King Thrushbeard because he's got some weird problem with his chin or something like that. So huh. she says it reminds her of a thrush. And then fairy tale crap happens. She is humbled. She ends up married to this beggar who threatens to beat her if she doesn't go out into the market and sell pottery shards and things like this. And she's she keeps falling lower and lower and lower. And she wishes that she would taken King Thrushbeard up on his offer of marriage. And then, of course, it turns out at the end that the beggar is, in fact, King, King
2: Thrushbeard, King Thrushbeard. <laughs> just teaching her a lesson. lesson. Yep.
0: And there's, there's a bunch of stories like that where... A haughty princess rejects some dude and then the dude goes <laughs> goes into this elaborate, plays this elaborate sadistic game that we're supposed to be happy huh. and she's supposed to be happy and that always cracks me up at the end of the story. She's just like, yay, thank you for teaching me <laughs> not to be so proud. Now I will marry you and we will live happily ever after. <laughs> oh, man. I was also curious because if you're going to look across mythology and the things that have influenced Western civilization, you have to look at the Bible I was, I was curious Hmm. to look at where those kinds of stories happen in the Bible. And most of them are centered around Elijah, Elisha, you know, there is some stuff with Elijah and Elisha. There's the youths that are like bald head, bald head. And he's like bears, you know, he curses them. And so there's, there's some play, there's definitely places where people underestimate (laughs) this person that has God's power on their side. There's not a lot of, they just don't know who Elijah or Elisha is necessarily. Uh,
2: classic bible the classic bible trickster would be jacob yeah but
0: in Jesus. terms yeah in terms of the narrative of people don't know pe- people don't know who this person is and then they reveal Power themselves
2: disguised and he's got he's always got something on you and he talks in riddles he well, talks in riddles he he's always got a one up but he is without, without sin cast at first he's going to write in the dirt he's going to do something crazy and unexpected He's going to turn your question on its head.
0: Well, but the really fascinating thing, so there's all that. Yes, absolutely, there's that. And people just not taking Jesus seriously. You know, the woman at the well thinking some dude just wants water and she's talking to the Son of God. There's stuff like that. But then, like every story, not every, not literally every story, but a heck of a lot of the stories post-resurrection are... That's right. ...Jesus' closest friends from pre-resurrection encountering him and not knowing. You've got Peter and John go fishing. Some dude tells them to cast their nets here. And then they're like, it's the Lord. You've got the guys on the road to Emmaus. You've got Mary Magdalene in front of the tomb.
2: Nobody recognizes
0: him. You've Mm -hmm. got like four or five narratives across the Gospels where Jesus appears to people. They don't know who he is. And then...
2: As soon as they recognize him, he disappears.
0: He disappears, yeah. And so... I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what theologically to make of that or what larger- it only
2: happens a couple times, doesn't it? Emmaus, he disappears. Yes. Emmaus, Emmaus he, disappears. he disappears.
0: Mary Magdalene, I think he just he... tells her to go tell mm-hmm. the men and she He's does. He's not
2: here. He's risen. Or no, that's the angel.
0: When he appears in the room with them, does he disappear? He
2: does disappear. He's like, peace be with you. And then he disappears. Yeah. So you've got- But when he when he tells John and Peter to cast the net on the other side-
0: then he makes breakfast for he him. makes and,
2: breakfast for him, and they sit and enjoy a meal.
0: And Peter gets pretty well-owned in that.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you love me? <laughs> yeah. So I don't have any larger
0: point to make. I just, I think it's very interesting that, and I, and I think you can't, eh, look, I don't want to reduce Jesus, obviously, to a mythological archetype. That's not all he is. But you can't pretend mm. like those stories didn't influence 2,000 years worth of stories that we tell ourselves.
1: Well, you also can't, I mean... Like it says at the beginning of Proverbs, these are to understand a saying and a riddle, mm-hmm. the words of the wise. The Bible is actually full of riddles. Right. It's full of strange things. I mean, prophecies are weird. Um, foreshadowings of Jesus are weird. They're much easier to see in the rearview mirror than if you're looking forward, you're trying, like we're told, uh, the prophets were trying to understand. What does it mean? The things I just said, what does it actually mean? Right. And they couldn't. <laughs> we get to understand it, but we have Jesus. So there's just all kinds of stuff like God concealing the truth from men right? in certain ways and revealing parts of it, like the, all the, the time. The,
0: the parables were told yeah. not necessarily always to illustrate the point so that people could better understand it, That's but right. to conceal the point. But to conceal
1: the point. And so God is, I'm not going to say he's a trickster God because that sounds really irreverent, but God does love riddles and he made our word, world very weird and you have to dig for things that you want to understand. If you want to find gold, you have to literally dig for it. Anyway, it's just a weird world. God is strange Mm -hmm. and other. And uh, our stories are- Holy Zord that we use for that. Yes, thank (laughs) you. Yes, God is holy and we don't understand him.
0: Right. And so if you're writing a fantasy narrative where you're going to create a character that's holy, you know, a wise man, a guru. Sage. A sage. (laughs) A wizard. For him to have some of that that character, that, that feeling of, I don't really get this and I may never get it and
2: he certainly has to feel beyond you inscrutable
0: and that that, that is i think the success of yoda and especially given that he's just this dorky little frank oz puppet the fact that he does communicate so much disappointment and so much (laughs) beyond like Mm -hmm. luke just isn't coming close to hitting the mark of of what this being understands and has to share with him and it's powerful actually and it's because of the way that, that the narrative is built. And it's really smart. And a lot of that apparently has to do with Lawrence Kasdan's writing more so than anything particular that George Lucas hmm. had in mind. Who knows? But that's what they say. This, this, is, this is the movie that kind of defines the force. I mean, in, in the first mm-hmm. one, they literally define it. They say it's an energy field that surrounds, surrounds us, us and binds us. us. But this movie really gives us the feeling of the force.
2: Oh, well, it introduces telepathy.
0: Yeah, it introduces telepathy, but it also has... Wait,
2: that's the wrong word. No, telekinesis. You, telekinesis. Yeah, I was like, there's telepathy in the first movie. Actually, well, oh yeah, there is telepathy mm-hmm. in the first two movies. Right. You're right. Yep. So we have more telepathy, we have telekinesis now.
0: Mm-hmm. We have ghosts, and we have Yoda giving a whole much higher, more developed religious feeling. The, just the the music and the time that's spent on it, and the what does he say about crude matter? We are luminous beings, are we not this crude matter? Yoda spends a lot of time in this movie expounding an absolutely BS philosophy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like explaining something that doesn't matter to the audience that like, why would you care? And yeah, it works. Like it's interesting, it's compelling. You're there for it emotionally. I think a lot of that has to do with John Williams' music as much as oh, anything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. but i read a quote from george lucas which i want to talk about a bit little bit he said he he said he intentionally wanted to quote awaken a certain kind of spirituality unquote in young audiences without making them pick a religion he said he didn't want to make the movie about any specific religion but what he did want to do was make people aware of spirituality that was one of the goals of star wars and it's most clear in empire strikes back i don't know what to say about that i mean how, did, how do you think that, that should affect the way that you know there's people that just won't watch these movies i think if there's any christians that just draw a line at star wars it's usually because of that
2: because of force buddhism voodoo
0: yeah because of the force because we have this false Sorcery. religion and it's very it's very attractive mm-hmm. actually what do you guys think about that do you have any sympathy for that do you have not sympathy for that
2: i, I have sympathy yeah, yeah, I have sympathy for it. It is attractive and compelling. Who, as a kid, watching those movies, didn't go and try to move stuff with their mind and try to like tap mm-hmm. into the force, mm-hmm.
0: yep. hold their hand out and try to make a Lincoln log float to them or something like that?
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, why that was oddly specific? Yeah. Well, I don't
0: know. I'm sure somebody with Lincoln logs probably did something like that. I don't, I don't know who. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, do you think that that's it? Do you think kids just like to move things with their minds and that's the real attraction? Or do you think that there's
2: actually a spiritual
0: level going on here?
2: Uh, I'll say that, yes, I think there's something spiritual going on, but I think it would be much more successfully spiritual if it had any coherence or logic to it (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Right. Like it's such a mishmash of nonsense that really at the end of the day, you get this idea that if I get a little zenny, Mm -hmm. then maybe I can move things with my mind and wouldn't that be cool? Like, I think that's the level that most kids. Well,
0: it really is George Lucas' stated goal of spirituality for spirituality's sake. He's pretty successful in that. Like, there's no coherence. It's just, if I can have a kind of a religious feeling, then I can do cool stuff. That's basically all it is
1: yeah well even as a kid i remember this is i liked that stuff for the same reason i like comic books because i would imagine myself with superpowers all the time right and i did that because i wanted to feel like i was powerful and i think that's because you want to be validated by divine power right like we all want that we right. want to be able to shoot laser beams out of our eyes or uh huh, move lincoln logs right. <laughs> with our minds <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty dumb that. this lincoln log thing <laughs> i like it i'm gonna run with it uh and, or you want to be able to, you know, jump backflip off a diving board and then pull your pull your lightsaber towards you through the air with your mind and turn it on, and uh, you just want to do all that stuff because you want to be connected to. I don't know, kid, little boys, I guess, especially understand that that kind of power is some kind of validation. Mm-hmm.
2: That's part of the whole chosen one mythos, right? Is you want to be the chosen one, you want to be yeah, of course, special.
1: Of course. And that's, that definitely presents a danger, but it's part of being made in the image of God and being, I guess, a boy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get away from that danger by simply by not watching Star Wars. That doesn't answer the question of whether or not you know your kids should watch Star Wars. Well, but I remember just...
0: reading the Bible and experiencing the exact same thing. I wanted to be able yeah. to walk on water. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to kill a thousand guys with a jawbone. I mean, I wanted. I mean, I actually fantasized about having those superpowers. I didn't
1: because I felt like it was irreverent. I guess I just was had a, was a little more developed as a kid than you in that way. Yeah, that's, but that's, uh, that's fair. yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you were a better theologian than <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but totally. That kind of stuff exactly.
0: But I mean, who that's read the narratives of Jesus doesn't go to a body of water and at least have it cross yep. their mind? Wouldn't Absolutely. it be cool to walk yep. across this?
2: That's right, sucker. I mean, if Peter could do it. Then maybe I could have enough. Yeah, faith, faith like That's a mustard right. seed.
0: I mean, these are the kinds of things. I can I literally
2: t- move mountains. Like the, maybe the Jedi stuff is real. Can I move this mountain?
0: Well, I actually remember as a kid. Yeah. At some point, I'd have no idea how old I was, but yep. there was a mountain, and I knew that verse, and I put my hand out like a Jedi, and I tried, and I I remember feeling bad, like my faith. I
1: obviously don't have enough. faith. I obviously don't
0: have enough faith. Cause Not even
1: a mustard seed. If
0: I had a mustard seed level faith, I could move mount- this mountain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so all kids have to be shepherded through that stuff and they have to understand what power is and what, what it means to be connected to God. It's different than being connected to the uh, divine, all-powerful force mm-hmm. or whatever the force is. <laughs> right, mini um, Yeah, mini-chlorians. <laughs> that,
2: guys, guys, that's just a theory of the rogue Qui-Gon Gen making an association that's not representative ah, of... Ah, yes. That's See, obviously... we retcon everything. No, no, that's,
0: what,
1: yeah. I, that's clearly what they're setting up. And, um... It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I mean that 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 is totally comic bookish too. Speaking right. of superheroes, uh you recon anything as needed. Yep. So the force is a lot of fun. You read any fantasy book, you read The Hobbit, you read Lord of the Rings, you wanna be able to be you wanna at least be able to have an awesome illuminate illuminated sword mm-hmm. that cuts through anything oh, like, sure. like Sting or like uh what are the <laughs> I can't can't remember the name of Gandalf's sword. But anyway Glamdring? You, yeah, you want glamdring. Mm-hmm. You, ha! Yep, good oh, job. You want the other one that uh, what Thorin has? What's what's the sword? Glamdring has a brother sword or a sister sword. There's two of them. Yeah. The faux hammer. Is Glamdring the faux hammer? I don't know.
2: I you mean, I... I don't think it's the fake hammer?
1: No, F O E. Orcrest. Orcrest, that's right. Orcrest, that's yes, right. Yes, yes. Well, you want that stuff. And you want to be able to turn invisible, and you want to imagine you could be Gandalf and do all this awesome stuff and fight mm. a Balrog. Of course you do. And then if you read Bible stories, you still can't get away from that desire. Right. I mean, does Star Wars push it so far into a dangerous paganism that I, I kind of doubt it?
0: But I don't want to get too Gospel Coalition-y or too C.S. Lewisy about this, but I think a lot of adult, mature Christian life is not learning to be done with those desires but learning to relegate them and to understand how the mundane things that we actually do in our christian lives quote-unquote mundane things are yeah things that we draw on the power of god to do and it doesn't look yeah. like floating and it doesn't look like killing a thousand bad guys with a laser sword or a donkey's jawbone for most of us but
2: or smacking people on the head and healing them of their wounds
0: right yeah but it does look like god renewing our minds and transforming our hearts and that is a miracle that is power that is that is power
1: and and, is... And, and proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue mm-hmm. a, a lot of me this does sound gospel coalition i guess but i don't care it's in the bible so a lot of life is learning to use your tongue sometimes gospel coalition <laughs> Uses the Bible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Believe it or not. I know they do. We're making unfairly hyperbolic comments. Yes, we
0: are. C.S. Lewis is great a lot of the time. Yep, absolutely. And Gospel
1: Coalition can be pretty okay sometimes. Yep,
0: absolutely. Mm.
1: So you learn how to wield the power of the tongue. Right. And it doesn't feel very impressive. Right. But it does kill people or heal them. Right.
0: Yeah, and that's why we like these stories is because they are related to what we do in our lives and how Mm -hmm. we live them. And... The people we save, the people we kill, the battles we fight. And we've all got them, no matter what we are. I mean, not just gospel coalition here, <laughs> yes, let's see, but you know It's just true. We're all heroes, we're all villains, we're all sidekicks, we're all something. <sighs> yep. There you go, folks. Is that what you wanted?
2: I think well, that's that was what, what a lot wanted. of people wanted.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: it's true. That's why we tell stories and that's why we read stories.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's why these stories still connect to people. It's 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 not just it's play acting, yes. But it's play. But boys play act so that they can learn to act upon their environment. They pretend to be things so that then they can go and be things. Yeah. And so there's a reality that these shadows point to. And it's silly to pretend like it's it's just uh, what's the word? You know, just masturbatory, just useless, just uh, expending energy to no purpose. It can mm-hmm. be for people if they spend their lives just. Watching Star Wars movies to no end, but there's a reason this stuff connects. Uh, okay, well, I don't want to go quite so easy on this question about the Force, though. Do you think that a child that watches this movie is more likely to give in to Eastern mysticism, to pantheism, to. Yes. And do you think that that should. How does that affect our watching? Well, Look, every time you're movies? exposed
2: to something, even if it's only the broadest, vaguest hints, there's a risk. Mm hmm. So yeah, when you expose a kid to that sort of thing and it's presented in a compelling and alluring way, then yeah, there's a little more risk. They're a little more open to that sort of thing. I think there's a way to do that. I mean, first of all, I think Star Wars is pretty low risk when it comes to that sort of thing. And second, I think there's a way to talk about that. And help. it's sort of like vaccinations, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Here's Eastern mysticism. Here's pantheism. Here's... All this stuff in its most tiny form.
2: Yeah, and let's talk about what's dumb about it. Right. Hmm.
0: Well, it's actually a nice mental handle for kids to have, I think. And I'm not saying, if people don't want to show Star Wars to their kids, fine. I don't care one way or another. That's that's my That's my giant answer to the question, is do what you want and just do it in a godly way. And use some discernment. There you go. Problem solved. But I think it's kind of nice. I think it was nice for me as a kid to be able to, when I encountered Buddhism later, when I encountered... Zen philosophies. When I encountered New Age, I already had this Star Wars thing that me and my dorky, snarky Christian friends had been making fun of for a decade. You know, like we all and my parents had already been saying, "No, actually, there's a God, and actually, it works." Like, you know, I already had all that framework there, and so it was very easy to just reject. It's exactly what Jake's saying with vaccinations. You know, it's just like, well, okay, this is this is all this Buddhism stuff is is just Star Wars, and I already know that's kind of silly. (laughs) <laughs> and for kids and for babies, so yeah, goodbye. <laughs> why do you guys think that Lucas went the direction that he did? Why? Why not a theistic fake religion? Why is there no god? It wouldn't figure?
2: feel it. Wouldn't feel it. Would feel too familiar. Everything that we're trying to do here is in outer space. Is trying to take these classic things and make it feel mystical and otherly, and probably Lucas was himself attracted to it. Yeah, and so you combine the two, uh, you know, aspects of a personal attraction to that sort of thing, with it's got to feel otherly, it's got to feel bigger and broader,
1: and its own, it's got to be undefined. It, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think even though Lucas says you know all faiths are this are true, uh, it's he's an agnostic, and it's hard to imagine any agnostic creating a personal deity for his right. fantasy world. It's more like. I mean unless you were just determined to be mean to Christians and comment on their God. Right, which people have done. You've got your yeah, yeah. Pullman kind of stuff. Yeah, people have blasphemed God. Right. The living God that way all the many times. But Lucas, it's just easy to imagine him being drawn to some big force. hmm Like, sure, there's God. I don't know what it is, but it is there and we can tap into it. And so my characters will tap into an it. Right. A thing. So they do.
0: I think it's also important to remember that. This grew out of the 1970s, and these people came of age through like the hippie movement, and that whole generation was really into that stuff. Like UFOs were big. I mean, you you think about what Spielberg and Lucas did, and what they what they did with their big budgets and the kinds of stories that they liked to tell. Those stories didn't come out of nowhere. Hmm. People were into new age philosophy. This was in a lot of a, a lot of ways the flowering of all that stuff. You know, the Beatles brought Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. Into the po- into the mainstream, and 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 people really connected with it, and uh, supernatural ghost stories. Kind of, you know you can kind of track these things. Kind of go in cycles, right? Like people are interested in vampires for a while, and then they're not. You look at the Victorians, and there was a certain kind of stodginess, but then they started getting into these spiritualism and occultism and things like this as a response to it. And then you have the 1950s and everything that, I'm not trying to turn this into a social history, but I think it's just important to remember what George Lucas actually comes out of and to make the very simple point that these were the kinds of things that people thought were cool. I actually don't think that stuff has quite the sheen of credibility or of interest now that it did then. I think new age kind of stuff was really big yoga, everything like that was really getting big mean, in the. You 70s. mean Yoda? <laughs> yeah, I meant Yoda.
2: <laughs> and so How there's a lot of that where his name came from. <laughs> hmm.
0: And so I think even like a, a a young pagan, you know, in a in a secular household watching Star Wars today might kind of make fun of it or have a snarky attitude towards the religious stuff. That I think a young person in the 1970s or 1980s might not actually have. They might have been. You know, Stephen King was was real big. There's just a certain Sa- kind of-
2: science is our religion now, which is why Marvel will take all the old mythological stuff and then just sciencey make science-y, it into s- science materialism, basically. Right? You know? Like yep. Thor is real; he's from another planet. They have millennia, multiple millennia lifespans. What we call, what you call magic, magic we, call we call science. You know, is right. the. And we've got these shorthand ways of talking about it that sound mystical to you like Rainbow Bridge, but you call it <laughs> Einstein-Rosen Bridge or uh, whatever the crap right it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Because it's, it's prosaic to us, but mm-hmm. you know, you guys are not as advanced as we are.
0: <laughs> right, but the, but the society is always behind the philosophers and the church is always behind the society. And so if you kind of think about that kind of rank materialism is actually hitting in the 1800s and then becoming popular through the 20th century, it's really now that we're bearing the fruit of that in just mainstream society where it's just expected that you'll be a materialist and an agnostic, basically. Mm -hmm. But even as far back as the 70s, we've got people coming out of a more conservative religious background and into some new agey kind of goofy spiritualism and occultism, that mm-hmm. is just a little bit different than what we have now and, and
2: there there will always be i mean if you try to go full full uh material mm-hmm. there will always be occultism and pagan paganism in either in subcultures or just like popping its head up in the most materialistic agnostic person's right. life superstitions and things like that an absurd fear or belief in
0: well i think we have a god who Unites the material with the spiritual. That's who Jesus is. He is the God man, right? I think you're right. And so we are able, as Christians, to approach both the material world and the spiritual world with a maturity that no other culture can. People, it's it's like it's bifurcated for everyone else on the planet. It's bifurcated, and they have to choose materialism, and then the spirituality comes out in weird places, or they choose spirituality, and then the material comes out in some weird places, and. That you can kind of understand the entire twentieth and twenty-first century. Are we not
2: this crude matter? Nope. All we are is this crude matter, right? Actually, we're both, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And if we're crude matter, how do we find a way to give some luminosity to that? And if we're luminous beings, then what can we not? Then why don't I just have sex with everybody that I want to? These are questions that people have had to explore in a post-Christian kind of a world, and. Star Wars is just one little rung on the ladder there I guess but
1: yep and they've all been explored before by the pagans it's not like they're new questions or, or new answers no yep no plato done been there and done that plato done there been that plato done been there the gnostics
0: done been there but that's that's old lucas that's 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 where he is and that's the force and it's worth at least kind of understanding that and putting that in context
2: incredibly immature yeah. Which is why it appeals to children and why children always grow out of it unless they are incredibly immature people.
0: Yeah, that's why I think it's so sad. Like when new uh, Force Awakens came out and all these geeks were coming out of the woodworks that were like, you know, you you read stories about the, the, the theater lost power. And I, I missed my opportunity to see the first Star Wars movie. And it's it's a tragic event in my life. And people just had these extreme responses and you realize there's actually people out there that believe in the force. It's like, that's just a of development. That's just Yeah. That's just the most immature. There's nothing here. This is not a full course meal of religion. This is not even a good false religion. This is just silly movie stuff. That's right. Readers of the Lost Ark has a more credible, much more credible religious mysticism than Star Wars ever comes close to, I would say. Just to throw out one
2: example that would be because it taps into something (laughs) Something much more real (laughs) more real yes it does yes it does i mean heck i can probably
0: think of you know like philip pullman in the his dark materials which is a god hater yeah and a atheist you know telling a i hate god story well he builds a very credible complete i hate god system and people have done it star wars is just there's just not not much meat on that bone that's all uh, I think we can wrap this up,
2: guys. Is there anything you guys
0: want to say about Han and Leia? Would their relationship exist in the po- in a post-Me Too world?
2: <laughs> uh, would their relationship exist? Yeah, but not on screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't, actually. Han, Han, Han Smith, or Han Smith. <laughs> Han Solo is a...
2: I, th- I think they just renamed him this. Such Han a Smith.
0: cooler name. <laughs> yeah, so Han so cooler. <laughs> hey, hey, it was originally Indiana Smith. I, you know that, right? This, this movie, actually, maybe it'll get grandfathered in but i i don't i imagine at some point we'll see like think pieces and maybe it'll get reassessed actually in the modern landscape because han what he does really isn't cool by the by the me too he power kisses her like he mm-hmm. he, he makes her kiss him when she doesn't necessarily she's not necessarily given consent to this kiss in fact she's kind of she doesn't she say like please don't or something like that she's given explicit non consent to this kiss but then she likes it which is just a male fantasy that's what causes rape and things like this because they think, well, if I'm just good enough, then they'll like it, which is what's been causing patriarchal oppression and rape and things like this for for thousands of years now. I actually think I'm making kind of a credible argument here. Do you guys think, okay, forget (laughs) about Me Too and all that. Do you think Han Solo, do you think this is the kind of romance we've been, do you think that this is getting at something real or something dumb? Or should kids be watching this romance?
2: It's a pretty thin romance, actually. So I don't know that there's a whole lot to read into it. They're supposed to love each other by the end of this movie, and therefore they do. And there are some steps along the way. First, we got some jealousy in the first act. Mm -hmm. Then we've got some bonding experiences over uh, mutually scary, tragic events and then we've got a distance will make the heart grow fonder and now we realize we really love each other. Mm. Moment. The end and a little power kissing scene in the middle there and you know. But well, Jake, this is predicated
0: on the notion that girls like bad boys that they mistreat do. them. Is this true? They do,
2: yeah. Lots of girls too.
0: Immature girls or godly girls?
2: It's a complicated question, Nathan. And, uh, the
0: listeners want to know, Jake, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want you to take your red pill before you give the answer, but (laughs) Mm. the listeners want to know, Ben, they do. Yeah. Without getting all red pill about it, it is true that girls like guys that can protect them, which means that if a guy exudes some danger,
2: an ability to deal with danger and, and an confidence ability, under pressure. And an ability to just like tell her what to do and, and not really care, care that no
0: much what she thinks. That is attractive. That is attractive. And that is what these simplistic things are getting at.
2: And that's what stupid immature women think they're attracted to when they're attracted to...
0: Domineering uh, jerks, jerks and who brutes are going to and abuse abusive men. Yeah. Yeah. That's why these relate. They've
2: mistaken. They've taken something good and accepted a twisted form of it in their immaturity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a woman shouldn't be attracted to a man that's safe.
0: Um, But shouldn't be stupidly attracted to a man who's the wrong kind of dangerous. But a
2: woman that will keep, yeah, and shouldn't be stupidly attracted to a man who's the wrong kind of dangerous, but a woman should be attracted to a man who will keep her safe. Right. And he's got to be able to do that. And he's got to be able to keep her safe from outside threats and from himself and from herself which means he's got to discipline himself, he's got to be able to discipline her, and he's got to be able to pose a threat to anybody who would pose a threat.
0: The reason that the real Han solos often turn out to be jerks is because they have two out of three. They can discipline her, they can discipline the outside world, they can't discipline themselves. <laughs> exactly right. That's and right. that's why you don't actually like a guy that power kisses you, because that's a guy that can't discipline himself. Yep. It doesn't matter how well he can discipline you. If he can't discipline yourself, then that's an extra scary combination, actually. Absolutely, yep. So watch out for the the rogues and scoundrels of the world all our i know lots of women like to listen to this podcast
2: deep into our what sixth episode <laughs> our second hour of empire strikes back <laughs> um in sixth hour of star star wars or something like that yep. we've only gotten into the, our second hour of empire strikes back
0: yep this is actually our third hour if you count that other thing we did on empire strikes oh, back yeah. i will say it is instructive that old things, even as old as this, twenty, thirty years, reflect human sexuality so much better than new Star Wars movies do.
2: Oh man. You Ryan know, Johnson is trash. There's a lot of really
0: basic things, as Jake was just talking about, that this movie gets at about the way that men and women work, and it just accepts without even thinking about it. Whereas Ryan Johnson thinks that the foundation for a relationship is the woman intentionally sabotaging the man's attempts to be heroic rendering mm -hmm. him impotent rendering him impotent and then telling him that the real secret is love right whatever that means
2: which definitely does not mean initiative uh, sacrifice fighting against those evil things that are threatening the things that you love
1: right (laughs) no it means love as the woman wants to define it that's the master
0: right well and there's plenty of roses out there but the fens of the world had best beware it doesn't it does not work out well.
2: You end up holding a dumb poster in a group of other effeminate fens on Facebook or Instagram and you know there're no women to be found. What poster? Oh, I just, you know, every time there's a movement like a women's march or something right. like that, you'll see some dorky guy. These these dorky guys who have wrists the size of your thumb you know, with their posters in support of it, just pandering, yeah. trying to curry favor with the lady folk. Yep. It seems to be backfiring.
0: Well, and I bet there's some guys listening to this podcast who just let their wives or girlfriends stop them from ever having any initiative. And again, without being red pill about it, you should have a little backbone, dude. Gross spine. Uh, gross spine. That's right. <laughs> I've got one more question guys, and then we can be done. Darth, vader yeah kids love darth vader yeah the little boys love darth vader why mm. do we love darth everybody loves darth vader why do we love darth vader so darn much he's scary and... well, why is scariness cool jake though shouldn't scariness be scary because it causes I don't pain know,
2: would we love would we love darth vader if he wasn't redeemed in the end i mean culturally would
0: would he have the
1: he might he would probably have quite a bit just because good he's a good yep. villain he would but
0: I mean he'd be up there with your Hannibal Lecters and your Goldfingers and your you know he's he is a great villain no matter what.
2: First of all he has a cool costume. Yeah. Second mm-hmm. of all he has the voice of James Earl Jones. Yep. Third of all he's got some real signature things about him. Mhm. But aside from the all black costume and the red lightsaber, the breathing you know, you watch the trailer for Empire Strikes Back, and it does the kind of thing that lots of trailers do, which is right. it just ends on Darth Vader breathing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as it fades to black. And we linger on a fade to black right. while Darth Vader's still breathing. So it's iconic and it taps into World War II iconography. Right. And then he represents the allure to give in to evil. And he's powerful and. Everyone fears him and respects him. He's feared and respected and who knows what he'll do. Like he's kind of unstoppable. What's going on with this guy? Mm-hmm. But we we recognize that allure to darkness in ourselves and we feel pulled to it. Right.
0: Well, and I think for little kids, especially for little boys, every six-year-old boy that's ever got spanked for knocking over a lamp or throwing a ball through a window loves Darth Vader because you spend your whole life especially your young life feeling like you have to curb your more powerful destructive influences so 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 this is very on a very simple level just to have a character that can smash things and break things throw things around and express his rage given to yes the dark side but really just the the bratty dark uh, dark side you know
1: like Kylo Ren. That's who you're talking about now, right? <laughs> no, I'm talking about oh, okay. Vader. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Kylo Ren actually
0: is an interesting, like, here's the impot- here's what this impotence actually looks like in a young man that allows himself uh-huh. to give into it. I actually like that about Kylo Ren. But I think Darth Vader is attractive, not so much because we want to tap into our, yes, because we all want to tap into our really evil dark side, but also because we want to tap into our really prosaic Dark side, especially young boys. It's like, I like to be able to smash things, I like to be able to throw my coat on the ground. When I come in and not have to, you know, Darth Vader's mom doesn't make him eat things that he doesn't like to eat. I know that. If she
2: did, he would fo- force Joker. He would force Joker. <laughs> she'd get him some dessert. <laughs> you
0: know, I mean, I just think little boys often love villains and especially big hulking Frankenstein like villains for that reason because, or muscle men kind of characters, you know, because. They feel always put upon. You know, it's just fun to be able to do what you want. So that's my theory for why people like Darth Vader. Is this movie anti-father, guys? I know I realize I'm asking a series of really dumb questions, but it's because I I believe you guys will give me smart answers if I ask dumb questions.
2: Uh, For a movie with three father figures, two of whom are good, um, and that's going to resolve in a son redeeming the father, I'm going to say, no, it's not anti-father. It's just pro tapping into father hunger.
0: Why does a mythological story like this have to deal with a father fighting a son?
2: Well, if you read Carl Jung Mm -hmm. or if you read, what's his face? Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Father hunger's just, and it's the heart of these stories and overcoming the demons of your father one way or another is at the heart of what it takes to grow and Mm self-actualize. Every young man is haunted by his father and has to overcome what's bad about his dad and embrace what's good about him. And That's absolutely true.
0: I mean, I think if you think about this movie from the perspective of the perfect audience for it, let's say an 11 or 12-year-old boy, what are the things that that boy has to deal with? He's got to figure out girls. So Princess Leia's, you know, we've got that. We've got that aspect of it. He's got to figure out his purpose in life. So, so that's 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 Luke. That's the adventure that he's going on. And he's got to figure out his dad basically. And so that's Darth Vader. And so we're getting at three of the most primal. You know, we're getting at sex, death, and dads here. It's yep some of the most primal stuff that people deal with. That's why these movies work across cultures, in different languages. You know, it's just like just one of those things. One of those things everybody's got a dad. And even if you didn't like him that much, he still defines who you are in a huge way. Well, Ben, Nathan, how many lightsabers out of four do Mm. you give the empire
1: strikes back as a whole uh that's hard i'm just gonna say three
0: three out of four yeah is there a star wars movie that you'd give more lightsabers to probably not that's
2: fair that's fair
0: jake same question same answer same answers yep yeah three out of four it's a three out of four series as an adult man Mm -hmm. but this is one of the best yep have something high energy to end on here um (laughs) But this is one of the best. (laughs) (laughs) Right, guys? That's right. Right, That's right, Nathan. (laughs) Uh, How about that Imperial
1: March? It's good. Fantastic. Yep. Watch Empire Strikes Back Shut. Enjoy it, you will. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: that's for free that's our own personal Frank Oz right there I'm afraid my brain will be quite operational
0: (laughs) (laughs) when the movie arrives
2: (laughs) at the Movies
0: produced by Nathan executive produced by Jake and Nathan joined by our good friend Benjamin Sulzer until next time folks do or do not there is no try (laughs)